The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. we got a very special guest today, Marcy McCarthy, who is the president and CEO of 10, joins us. Marcy, thank you so much for joining today. Greg, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm real excited about your podcast series. Oh, I appreciate that. And I know we've known each other for an awful long time. Yep. First met through 10. Um, appreciate all that you do as far as getting the information, getting the uh, information security folks together and all the networking. But how did you get to that point to where you've been doing this now? Well, it's really a passion of mine to bring together buyers and sellers in the cybersecurity industry. And we were able to really find a unique way about doing it is showcasing and honoring security executives and their project teams and doing so on a regional and North America basis. Um, it didn't happen overnight, to say the least, but what we've been able to do is build this amazing community called the ISC community. And uh, the cybersecurity industry is a relatively newer industry in the IT world. So you're thinking about 20 to 30 years mm -hmm. as compared to traditional IT, which is more like in the 50-year range. But um, That makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm dating myself a little bit too, Greg. But what has always attracted me to the cybersecurity industry over just general IT is I think we're like the James Bond of IT. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'll be 007. But, but, there you are. You kind of have some resemblance to him. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, But you you don't have an uh, IT or cybersecurity background. You didn't start out in this, did you? No, I went to Babson College uh, and majored in marketing and communications mm -hmm. and graduated magna cum laude with a business degree. So no, I never actually in my wildest dreams had any idea anything about cybersecurity. But my first foray into it became uh, because of an organization that I was very involved in many years ago called Women in Technology. Mm -hmm. And there was an extraordinary woman, an entrepreneur, her name was Joan Lyman, who started and founded uh, SecureWorks. And oh. Okay. And she was one of our finalists of the Woman of the Year Technology Awards. And we became friends, and she mentored me, and she showed me so much information about, <clears throat> excuse me, the information security industry. Um, and she hired me as the director of product marketing. Now, I didn't really know the the damnedest about <laughs> cyber, but, but a lot of us back in like early, early 2000s really didn't know much about it because it was an emerging industry. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so I had done PeopleSoft um, implementations with around HR, payroll, and the GL module and training. So I was familiar with how client server systems work. And she's like, oh, you'll figure out all that. I'll just teach you. And, you know, fast forward, I worked for SecureWorks. I worked for a company called Landcope, which was eventually acquired by Cisco. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ISE awards were actually born in Atlanta. Our first one was at the Fox Theater and we invited so many people all over the place. I had gotten like Stonesoft and ISS and so many other technology companies that were focused on cybersecurity to create a consortium and underwrite this program. Mm -hmm. And on the night that we invaded Iraq for the first time, we hosted the ISE awards. Uh, in Atlanta, and we had people from 
all over uh, come, about 300 people come, to celebrate a profession that was not really well-known and recognized, and certainly when their best day was when nothing happened, and except we were the first ones to create an awards program to showcase and honor security. Really, it was professionals because there, and we named it ISE, Information Security Executive, by design because there wasn't that many chief information security officers, and we saw a whole variation of titles. Right. And uh, whether I was just right when we kind of wrote it on the napkin, literally at a pub in, in Atlanta, or I just got lucky. Um, we just called it the ISE Awards because we felt like that the chief information security officer title was, was always going to have different responsibilities and variations. So all-encompassing is the ISE Awards. So, so you do uh, both regional and national, right? We do. So prior to the pandemic, we had ISE North America, which was our annual national conference. Mm-hmm. And then we had four regionals. So we had ISE Southeast, ISE Northeast, ISE Central and ISC West. Post pandemic, what we have decided to do is have two of them uh, that are hosted annually. So ISC East and ISC West. And with the change of the workforce out there, we had this great discussion at our ISC private dinner where where we live and work or where we work and live is not necessarily the same. I mean, we're sometimes working from home, sometimes we're working in an office, sometimes like myself. We're working on an airplane and then we're working in a hotel room or at a coffee shop. So it doesn't necessarily matter where you work and live. So what we're doing is honoring security executives in their project teams and just added the product security executive uh, to this year's ISC West. And we'll be hosting that event on December 1st in Dallas. And so if I remember correctly, because we'll talk about dinners in just a second, but but we had the dinner last night and... um, you, you had mentioned that it isn't necessarily need to be regional, like somebody from New York can, can apply for ISC West. Exactly. Right? Just because of the fact that we are so distributed now. Absolutely. So if you do live in New York, but your company's headquartered in Chicago and you want to participate in ISC West, you just submit a nomination by October 10th and you're good to go. And you also do talked about the dinners. How many of the, of the uh, dinners do you do every year? Um, we probably have, uh, on the books this year, uh, we're probably going to approach close to a hundred, uh, in-person ISC program or ISC private dinners. We've also started the year with a heavy digital, um, platform mm-hmm. where we're doing, uh, 10 tech talks and ISC fireside webinars and ISC cocktails and conversations. So we still have a, a demand for those, although of late, which is understandably so, cause we haven't been all together in, in, uh, in many places, we are returning uh, in great numbers to the doing ISC private dinner. So we're going to be hosting our first one back in California, in Santa Monica, like on uh, September 21st. And then it's in following day is the ISSA uh, LA Summit X. We'll be speaking on the leading a panel about women in security. So we're slowly going back into places. Uh, it's definitely different uh-huh. than it was before. And uh, so a lot of the places, like a Santa Monica, for example, haven't been open as as long as, say, like Atlanta. So we're going to be having our dining in an open, uh, aired, outdoor dining room, for example. So I'm going to guess you probably have maybe about 4 billion air miles now. Um, I'm, so I am a million miler on Delta and I am fairly close to making 2 million uh, on Delta as well. 
I would have made it uh, probably about now if the pandemic didn't happen. So my right. travel did slow down. So I'm a little bit behind on my 2 million mile mark. And, you know, just to that point, to appreciate the fact that uh, 10 was able to alter and keep the community going during the pandemic by pivoting and doing a lot of the stuff online because it, it is so important. Again, talking about the dinner, we're, we're recording this, um, in September, although this is, you know, comes out in October and we had, um, the dinner last night and it's just so great to be able to connect with folks. So sometimes just getting back from the pandemic, um, Mike uh, saw someone there, the person who was leading it, uh, Michael St. Vincent hadn't seen him since he had moved out to, uh, uh, in the West uh, seven years ago. So really appreciate that initiative. But now security is not just your your passion. You also have a passion for um, elections and election integrity, right? I certainly do. Following the 2020 elections, I saw something. I said something. I testified in front of the Georgia Senate as well as the Georgia House. Uh, eventually I became, um, the chairman of the Republican party in DeKalb County, Georgia, which is the second bluest county, uh, and the fourth largest county in the state of Georgia. We actually have 159 counties, believe it or not. But what we've been able to do is accomplish so much over the last two years in restoring fitness, faith, integrity, and trust in our elections. And, uh, we have a working relationship with our elections office, uh, where we're actually going to have our stakeholder, stakeholders meeting. So before every single election, what we've established is that the Democrats, the Republicans, as well as the elections office leadership sit down together at one table and say, these are how we're going to, this is the rules of engagement. Obviously, we're abiding by our Election Integrity Act, SB 202, mm-hmm. but we're agreeing on dates, deadlines. When is the poll watcher worksheet, um, sign-up sheet, because you have to register every poll watcher, for example. When does that have to turn it into the elections office so that they can credential our poll watcher? So each major political party is allowed to have two observers per precinct. So with that said, what we've been able to establish, because it's we have 19 days of early voting in Georgia, we have and absentee ballot, uh, no reasons, and election day. So we Uh have, at the end of the day, we have voting month in Georgia, and that's a lot of resources uh, overall. So what we're able to do is create a rolling schedule of credentialing so that we turn it in the Thursday before. They start processing everything uh, in terms of creating the the badges and and notifying the precincts. And then for that, um, starting that Monday, they will have the the poll watcher goes down to the elections headquarters and pulls their credentials and then goes to their um, poll watching location. So it gives us a lot of flexibility during those 19 days as well as election day, because for a lot of us, we're very busy. So if you have to do that deadline almost 30 days in advance, you don't know where you're necessarily going to be. Your schedule might change. So this allows for a lot of flexibility. And that's just one great example of how we built a partnership uh, to restore fitness, faith, integrity, and trust in our elections. And then overall, we have a brand new elections director that came in uh, overall, and she's doing a phenomenal job. Um, they're looking to do a lot more automation and scheduling, as well as asset management of the voting equipment. Uh, so a lot of this has been done very manually in spreadsheets and not consistent 
you know, processes. Not good infosec uh, practices. No. I mean, there's still a long way for them to go. Mm-hmm. But I look at my counterpart county, like Fulton County, which is the largest uh, county, you know, in the state of Georgia. But it is our neighboring county, and we do share some boundaries in the city of Atlanta, for example. Mm-hmm. So there are some crossover candidates. We're both in the fourth, I'm sorry, the fifth congressional district. So we also will share a congressional race as well. Um, we just recently shared the mayor's race. So their processes are not well-defined. It's often chaos. They're not transparent, uh, as we have worked very hard. So we had a recent challenge. Uh, we had a commissioner's race that was a Democrat primary where there was a people, process, and technology failure. It was truly a failure. Originally, there was four candidates that started. One withdrew prior to the election, but somehow... Uh, the candidate was not entirely removed from the voting system. So what happened was the rows of data, there should have been three people on the ballot. In some instances, there was a fourth, the, the fourth candidate that had withdrawn, but the data pressed up into three rows. So oh. inadvertently, um, the, the candidate that came in first on election night um, it was going to destined to a primary because there were four candidates and three candidates. So it's very hard to get over 50.1% uh, in in many races right. to avoid a runoff. That's, that's our rules. So with that said, um, we had a different outcome on election night than we did a hand recount that happened um, over the series of Memorial Day. But what we did do is the candidate identified, one of the candidates identified the problem because she realized that her and her husband voted on election day in their precinct and had zero votes to show because they break it down by precinct and everything like that. And obviously that's an issue because there should have been two at least. At the very least, if her husband didn't vote for her, we would assume <laughs> the candidate needs <laughs> yes. to vote for herself. But I'm going to give the husband the benefit of the doubt that there were, should have been two votes. <laughs> so they realized that some of the other precincts had some similar problem, but the same, what happened was she was in the lead in the early voting, uh, the absentee voting. So it was very puzzling that she would get, you know, zero votes on election day when you kind of went back and looked at, you know, the other data points. So what was discovered, again, was the existence of the fourth candidate unbeknownst to everyone involved. And that was a breakdown in the testing because they removed the person, but they didn't do a full series of testing in the system. So some folks out there wanted to say it was fraud and nefarious and everything like that. And let me just tell you, this was a mistake um, in the system, it didn't, you know, it, but the way it was handled as compared to Fulton County, because they identified it had a similar problem with a school board race. So what we did is um, our vice chairman, who is a Republican and an appointed representative that I appointed as chairman of the Republican Party, um, went to her colleagues on the election board and the elections director and said, this isn't looking right. So they you know, dug a little deeper and dug a little deeper and realized something is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they decided to do was a hand recount. And in a bipartisan manner, we had Democrats, Republicans, independents, concerned individuals all on Memorial Weekend working overtime and did the hand recount. Now, what the discovery was is about 3,200 votes that were not discovered on election night. Um, and we had a totally different outcome of the race. So candidate number one became candidate number three. Candidate number three became candidate number one. Candidate two stayed as candidate two, went into the runoff, 
and there was a vote discovery of candidate number four that had withdrawn. So um, huge uh, integrity issue there. Correct. And, and, and we talk about um, in information security, you know, that's part of the triad, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. How can InfoSec pros leverage their skill set to maybe volunteer to help to continue to grow faith, integrity, and trust. I have fitness. 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 I'm sorry. Fitness. fitness. Not good. Okay. Well, I guess they also need some faith in the elections. <laughs> uh, fitness, integrity, and trust of, of the elections. So that's a great question. It doesn't make have to mean uh, you have to be an IT person to do this. We need any uh, any citizen out there. We need poll watchers. We need mm-hmm. a lot of poll watchers in DeKalb County. Uh, we have 16 early voting locations, six inclusive of a drop box that are open, uh, seven to seven weekdays and 12, uh, 10 to five on Saturdays and then 12 to five on Sundays plus seven to seven election day. Uh, we have 191 voting precincts on election day just in DeKalb County alone. What we need every citizen, every patriot to do is to contact their, um, political party that they align with. If you're a Democrat, call them. If you're a Republican, call us um, and volunteer and sign up for just a shift of poll watching. If everyone, we have 101,000 right-leaning Republicans in DeKalb County. Uh-huh. We will have, I just need over 500. So if we just get a small number of everyone just signing up and, one and- time for a few hours we will have safe, secure elections because everyone will be watching. And I'm inviting, and I would say, Democrats do it too. They are out there. So we need every single American. To, a- a- across the country. To, across the country. And, and what do you, what skill set do you need to have? Just a pair of eyes? Yes. So it is required by law in Georgia. I'm assuming it's fairly similar in every state that you are trained uh, in a poll watching class. Mm-hmm. So all the political parties on both sides, I can assure you, um, are running nonstop training classes, whether they're in person, uh, whether they're uh, on Zoom. It's about 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour, depending upon the class. We have set up a whole workshop series, actually. We have advanced poll watching that takes you through how to watch the drop boxes to be unlocked and reviewed before the precinct opens, and then how to close them out at the end of the day. They're not doing that work per se, but they're watching the poll workers do it. And I have a strong belief when you are being observed and you have an opportunity to, you can't like scream at the people working. You have to document what you've said. And if there's something egregious, then you step outside and you call your point of contact. So there's Mm -hmm. a whole contact process. But if everyone took just one afternoon of 19 days, for example, and volunteered their time, we would have much more safe, secure elections. And, and not just in, in the so-called swing states, because uh, in, in, in any, uh, here in Tennessee, we we are traditionally uh, a pretty strong Republican state, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can always assume that that's going to be the, the outcome, that any any state that has a solid leaning should also still be concerned about election integrity. Absolutely, absolutely. And one step further, if you're able to do this, is to apply to be a poll worker. So what we have done is a concentrated effort to have poll workers, much like all the businesses out there 
right? Uh, they're short supply of talent, okay? And it is no different in the pole worker business. Now, this is seasonal work. You know, you're working for 19 days or election day. Um, so they're in desperate supply because a lot of the people that have traditionally done this work were much older. So the pandemic put a kibosh on that for them. Uh, and you only have to be 16 years old um, to to be a poll worker. And obviously you have a, there's different roles and responsibilities and you apply uh, online. Um, we have several now of our uh, Republican members of the party that had never been, um, never thought to apply because we're in a, you know, Democrat County. Well, no one's going to hire me. Well, in contrary, actually our people all have been hired. Okay. And some have gone through a couple election cycles now and are moving into assistant poll manager roles as well as poll man and been promoted to poll managers. And actually they've increased, um, the, in, in Georgia, they have increased the, uh, compensation for poll workers because again, like everybody else, we can't find people right to work. So you can make um around 5,000 bucks in 19 days. If you really That's if you if, I mean you're working some long hours. Well, I but particularly if you're I, I'm not saying just limited to 16, but boy that's a that's a pretty good part time job there. It's a pretty good part time job. It's not really stressful work. I mean, you're basically you know, checking people in, verifying their voter ID, handing them their their voter card and their voting and then you I mean, most people when they go to vote are happy people. I mean, I, you know, every time I've gone to vote, I'm, I'm cheerful. I'm an American. I'm exercising my most sacred rights. So I love going to vote and, uh, you know, I've always had a positive experience with it. Uh, so anyway, and then just get involved. I mean, so that to answer your question, you don't need to be an IT professional. You could be, you could be a lawyer. You could be a doctor with a day off, a pilot, or just a stay at home mom that, you know, wants to volunteer or work a few hours. We would appreciate it. Awesome. Well, there, it, your life is so full with everything that you're doing with, with 10 in the InfoSec world and uh, for election integrity and all of the millions and millions of miles that you're accumulating. What do you do to decompress? So it's a great question, Greg. And I've taken up yoga many years ago, and I absolutely love that. And it has been just incredible just to have an hour or so without the phone, without the computer, just some, sometimes the yoga is a little upbeat. So maybe it could be like a pop song mixed into a fun class or just in a solemn kind of spa music, but just to check out and just literally think about nothing uh, for an hour and 15 minutes. I love to go for walks as well. And I just started uh, doing the Peloton. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. I, you know, I remember you mentioned that and uh, um, I meant to mention too, that I, I, I don't do Peloton, but I do Zwift. So it's, it's kind of at least the biking part. Yep. So, so, uh, got into it in the beginning of the pandemic and uh, um, definitely there's a lot of great stuff you can do in the virtual world. Well, uh, what are your future plans? You're going to continue uh, with uh, election integrity and uh, with 10? Well, absolutely. So I love 10. Um, That's not going anywhere. And uh, we're, what has been amazing is, is taught us a lot. 
during the pandemic. So we've been able to transition to do both digital as well as in-person programs. We've streamlined a lot of our business processes to make us more efficient, more robust. Um, and we're real excited about 2023 and onwards uh, overall of continuing to expand our ISC community. And I meant to mention that our IC community actually grew quite a bit during the pandemic because we were able to reach people awesome. in places that were not necessarily in a metro area. And so right. many people actually moved to, you know, their lake house or or somewhere that's, you know, two hours from, you know, the nearest big airport per se. So uh, for them actually staying in touch uh, during during the pandemic allowed us to, with us, allowed us to all expand. Um, I'm continuing forward in the world of Republican. I don't want to run for office. Um, that That's, I've got. Uh, um, I wasn't going to ask. <laughs> no, no. I, I actually love uh, recruiting and helping candidates that are awesome and run. So in DeKalb, for example, we have 25 candidates that were on the primary uh, ballot, and then we now have 17. Uh, we're in the general. So it is been absolutely amazing to get first time candidates and building a whole team. We created a whole candidate incubator. So I want to just continue to um, have our our Georgia state hold the line. Uh, we take back the, our Senate, retain our governor and our constitutional officers and get some of my awesome, awesome candidates elected. So for the first time in a couple of decades, we are going to maybe have some real solid representation in the Gold Dome uh, in Georgia coming out of DeKalb County. Awesome. Well, Marcy, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. I always love catching up with you. Oh, Greg, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Our time together went by really quick today. It it goes by fast when you're having fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. And everybody stay secure.